Blurts is wherever you are around the world. You are listening to the you. Blurt. We acknowledge the First Nations peoples of this land, the traditional custodians, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future. We recognise the ongoing impacts of colonisation and the importance of a voice to Parliament to ensure the sovereignty and self-determination of First Nation peoples is respected and upheld. We commit to working together towards a just and equitable future for all Australians. Bonsoir, Blurt Star. Tonight I'm coming to you from uh, Wundjeri Country, Kulin Nation of the Wurrung people. Sovereignty was never ceded, always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. Tonight's show, as you can see, has a bit of a French theme because we are um, celebrating Bastille uh, Day, which will be on the 14th. And I know that's a couple of days away, but um, we thought we would. So I know it's the 11th of June uh, tonight. And I know we've got a couple of days, but um, we thought we would do that. So over to you, Wensi. Uh, hello, Kickstarter. No. Bonsoir, monsieur. Comment allez-vous? Uh, je m'appelle Wens Rivera. Or Wensi for short. Um, and I'm coming to you. Kickstar. Kickstar. And I'm coming to you today back from the traditional lands of the Yagra and Turbrils people. Uh, sovereignty was never ceded. That is 100% true. So now, a little, now I need to just check this out because we didn't, um, we actually didn't do this before the show because I hadn't realized you had homework. Now that I know you've got homework, I need to do this. That is the homework, Sting. What have that you got for homework. us? What's I? I don't know if you recall a couple of weeks ago, because I was actually listening to our potty from two weeks ago, talking about, um, you were talking about platypuses. We were wondering oh, yes. what the yes, collective noun of the platypus is. It is a paddle <laughs> of platypus. A paddle of platypus. A, plat, a paddle of platypus. Say that three times in a row when you're drunk. I was going to say, <laughs> try that three times. Well. So, paddle, so it's not even a paddle of platypuses. It's a paddle no. of platypus. Just platypus. Correct. Oh, I can't believe it's I can't believe it's not platypi. It, I know. Platypi. Sure, I prefer sure. platypi. It sounds so much better, doesn't it? It does. It doesn't do. Unfortunately, though, I've got to say, though, they do sound like, um, you know, a cuisine. So that's that's not good. You, you don't want one of your most favourite animals to sound, you know, like a favourite food. I don't no. Think... <laughs> <laughs> a paddle of platypus with your paddle of beers. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. We won't be saying that again on the show. No. Um, no, no, absolutely. Actually, talk. Talking about food, though, um, which we, we weren't, obviously, because we were talking about, about uh, the platypus, but um, <laughs> the wastage of food. Oh, yeah. The oh, wastage really of. Yes, well, it is important. And I came across five different strategies to how we can all not waste as much food. So, um one of the one of the ways is to plan make sure you have a meal plan oh yes we have a little bit of delay there you go we to make sure you've got a meal plan and uh, when you're cooking start thinking already about intentional leftovers what what you might be eating what might go into okay. the fridge etc i don't, I don't know about you but many times we end up um having uh, we have leftovers but um but unfortunately at times they get pushed to the back of the fridge so it's actually yes, good that- to 
have a leftover night to make sure that any leftovers that you have, you pull them all out and you eat them all on that on that one night. Um, Possibly the next sure day. After, because, yeah, it's, it's too easy. Do you guys follow a – or do you, you mentioned the very first thing. Do you do a weekly planner on what you're going to cook for the week? Yeah, look, that's such a good question. The short answer is no. <laughs> but um, uh, when when I was growing up, my mum did though. She did, mm. and she could tell me yeah. she could tell me on Wednesday what we were gonna like. She could tell me on a Sunday what we'd eat on a Wednesday, mm. and that's that's how she would yeah. shop. But we don't we don't yeah. tend to shop. Um, we like we that. often do that. We're we're often doing a um, a weekly uh, food planning or dinner plan especially when life gets busy and we work out okay because we know that one of us one of the parents is going to be super busy work-wise or traveling or whatever so quite often on a sunday night we'll plan what's going to be cooked for the rest of the week we put on a little board kids can see it has helped in the past a little bit where we get the kids to actually help out because they know exactly what's coming up so well, um, your kids us. aren't particularly particularly young anymore. No, no. So they have no excuse not to help out in the kitchen no. anymore. No, they do exactly. not have any excuse. I mean, yeah. India's been um, India's been um, helping out and and cooking, doing her own cooking, probably for the last couple of years. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the last two or three years or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's twenty this year, so mm. yeah, she's been helping out for That's for a right. while. Yeah, so she has her own night, or she has her own couple mm-hmm. of nights. I have mine, and blah blah blah. Yeah. So, but it, it tends to work quite well. Um, mm. On a Tuesday night, tonight it's always a little bit of a rubbish night because Nessa's got something on, I've got something on, and uh, it's Nessa's cooking night. So mm. it's always yeah, we're the same with Tuesday. Stating the obvious, it's our show night. That's uh, right. Yeah, it's usually right. leftovers or something that's pre-cooked that we can just reheat. What other tips have you got for yeah. us? So the what have we got? Improvise. Improvise is another uh, one of the strategies. So oh, yeah. if you've got lots of odds and ends in the fridge, think about making a flexible, inexpensive dish that makes good use of bits and bobs of various foods. Ooh. Frittatas, stir-fried rice, omelettes, quesadillas, and soups are all How, really What, what was that dishes. Mexican dish called again? Quesadillas. Sorry, say it again. Quesadillas? <laughs> Sorry, I've got to laugh. Sorry. Quesadillas. Is it que- oh, quesadillas. 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 Okay. At, Sorry, least they didn't say, at least they didn't say quesadillas. I have heard people say quesadillas or yes, quesadillas. As I mean, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm better than the norm. I mean, yes, I, I, tried. I tried hard. I didn't. Yeah, did. I know. For you, it would be. It would be. Elephant stamp for you, Mister. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. For people that do not know, um, they should by now. We were on 131 um, episodes. Wensai is Chilean by background nationality. But were you born there or born here? Oh, you were actually born in Chile. Right. Okay. I couldn't. Uh, Born in Chile. Uh, Arrived in Australia two and a half years. Yes. Born in a bowl of chili. And away you go. Correct. Uh, Chili con carne. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, So anyway. Talking about <laughs> talking about absolutely uh, apropos of nothing, South mm-hmm. Koreans became a year or two younger on Wednesday. Did did you read this? Did you did you see this? I did come across this during the during the week. Tell us more. 
How did that happen? Uh, on Wednesday, new laws require using only the international method of counting age took effect, replacing the country's traditional method. So under the age system most commonly used in South Koreans everyday life, people are deemed to be a year old at birth. So like when That's we, bizarre, which makes it? sense in a way, because you've nearly been mm. in there for a year, but we yeah. do a zero when they come out, don't we? Mm. And we do another whole yes, one. Yes, that, that is true. Although so, my, my kids... And a year probably, is added, yeah. My kids would have been pretty much a year on exactly in the tummy because they were late to come out, overcooked. Over, felt overcooked. like a year for my partner. Overcooked <laughs> and underappreciated. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, the underage, uh, the underage system most commonly... Used in South Koreans' everyday life, people are deemed to be a year old at birth and a year is added every January the 1st. But, so the country since the 60s used the international norm of calculating from zero at birth and adding a year every birthday for medical. But many South Koreans continued to use the traditional method uh, for everything else. But in December, South Korea passed laws to scrap that traditional method and fully adopt the international standard which obviously means that every single one of those South Korean uh, people will be at least one year old, uh, uh, younger. Yeah, younger. And So they get a um, an extra birthday. Very well done. Yes, seems that way. We expect legal disputes, complaints and social confusion that have been caused <laughs> over how to calculate ages, caused over how to calculate will be greatly reduced. That's what they think. They think they're going to be greatly reduced. Minister of Government uh, Lee Wan Yu told a briefing on a Monday. According to the government survey conducted in September 2022, 86% of South Koreans said they would use the international age in their everyday life when the new laws took effect. Hmm. So nice. that, yeah, so that seems to me like they don't have to or yeah. like they're not compelled. Which is interesting. Mm. So, Who would have thought that that was that was a thing? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Eleven thousand seven hundred eighty votes to win the election. Thomas, I need eleven thousand votes. Losers only. It's Trumpa. China. <laughs> um. <laughs> so it is. I uh, love that one. <laughs> I, I, I do. I crack myself. Soft up sometimes I do. It's, it is true. You now, do. just talking That's about um, uh, talking about uh, being cracked up or make your own. Um, you make your own decision on this. I mm -hmm. find it very hard to look at, but that's just me. Not him again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't know which one you're talking about. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's pretty terrible. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, so um, what they're saying is the Home Affairs Minister has said that the Trump Jr. is just a big baby um, <laughs> because... It's like his father. He was meant to come... Very true, very true. One off the old pram. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Australian Minister, um, Claire O'Neill, said that he's a big baby who's just very unpopular in, um, uh, in Australia. Because he blamed a visa delay for postponing his tour, that he was just about to come to Australia and spout his disgraceful, disgusting, complete untruth bullshit. Um, mm. 
to people that may want to listen to that sort of crap. And uh, the Australian government hadn't stopped him coming. Uh, he had a visa in his hands 24 hours before he left America. Mm-hmm. But he decided to cancel his show anyway. Let me guess he didn't have enough tickets sold. That would be my guess as to why he's not coming. No, 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 no. It's a visa delay. It's uh, a visa delay. Yeah, no, no. It's definitely a visa delay. Of course. Um, so Claire O'Neill um, tweeted on social media or threads or spoutable or blue sky <laughs> or mastodon or whatever the frick <laughs> she used. I don't know what it was, but I think it was Twitter, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and just just uh, just saying we're on all of the above. Um, geez, Donald. Apart from Blue Sky, um, yeah, geez, still waiting for our invite. Donald Trump Jr. is a bit of a sore loser. His dad lost an election fair and square, but he said it was stolen. Now he's trying to blame the Australian government for his poor ticket sales and cancelled tour. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> as I predicted. Exactly as you predicted. So Trump, the eldest son of the former US president, an absolute mad person, was set to speak in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane from July 9th to the 11th. Oh, what a shame. So upset Mm. that he's not coming. Uh. However, however, in a release to Associates Turning Point, Australia said overnight the dates would have to be rescheduled. They said Trump's visa was only received the late afternoon yesterday, 24 hours before the conservative activist was due to board a plane for Australia. I love the way they call him a conservative activist. He's not a conservative activist. No, he's a, he's a complete narcissist. Yeah, absolutely. Conservative activist. Jesus. Um, I'd call Howard a conservative activist. Mm. Um, turning Point Australia said the tour had already sold. You're not going to believe this. It's Mm. a lot. You'd be surprised. 8,000 tickets. Wow. That's Uh, barely a section in Taylor Swift's concerts for next year. Across three states. Across three states. Well, just over 2,000 per per state. Including, (laughs) Including selling out. All VIP tickets priced at $2,500. Jeez. Mad mad people who paid that much. Jesus, seriously. Ticket holders are urged to hold on to their tickets with details of rescheduled date to be confirmed in the coming days, the Australian website for Trump Live says. So, yeah, so there you go. Uh, That's a bit of... A bit of of Trump watch. A little bit bit different this week, but um, Mm. just as bad. Just yep. as right. bad. Now, sorry. I, I was, was just, just going to say, say yeah, that's it's... enough of Trump's. <laughs> that I need more yes, airtime. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You're 100% correct there. 100% correct. But uh, it is probably time for a bit of this. <laughs> Uh, 
I do. Just, just have it in the background there. Just, um, you can't see it, but it totally matches that background. So what I might do is I might just uh, show it to you for a second. Here we go. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about when it pops up. Way there it is. Good old French flag. Yes, yes, yes. So, so yes, so Bastille Day. Um, that is what the 14th is, uh, the 14th is uh, of July is all about in, um, in France. And I have a, a little bit that I would like to play, which means I'll have to stop playing this, but that's okay. I'll, I'll have to do that anyway. This, uh, we will put that back on. But um, this uh, girl will give us a bit of a rundown on what July 14th is all about. But also, I'll have some more details on Bastille Day as well. So just have a wee listen to this yourself in France on the 14th of July. No matter where you are in the country, you'll be privy to celebrations. You might also find it difficult to get anything done because it's a bank holiday and everything is closed. Well, nearly everything. A huge military parade is held in the morning on the Champs-Élysées. And when night falls, firework displays light up the skies everywhere, from big cities to smaller towns. So, why all the fuss? Well, the French national holiday marks the anniversary of when the Bastille prison was stormed in 1789. That's why it's called Bastille Day in English. The Bastille was a medieval fortress serving as a political prison in the centre of Paris. The aristocracy wasn't too popular in France at the time, and revolutionary fervour was simmering thanks to a weak monarchy, consistently high taxes and rising food prices. On July 14th, a crowd of 300 surrounded the prison, demanding the release of prisoners, as well as its impressive arms stash. A bloody battle ensued, with revolutionaries eventually capturing the building, pulling down its walls and freeing inmates. When told of the drama, a bemused King Louis XVI asked one of his advisers, is this a revolt? To which he replied, no sire, this is a revolution. He was executed by means of guillotine four years later. The act showed common people no longer accepted the absolute power of the monarchy. It also signaled the start of the French Revolution and forced the creation of the modern French Republic. So this 14th of July, if you see fireworks in France, you'll know exactly what they're for. I do have a bit more. When she's just swaying along to the, to the French music. Playing my, my little invisible accordion. Yes, nice. Oh. You, do know, you do know that the accordion is probably my uh, worst instrument in the world. Like, I cannot stand it. So, uh, right, to, okay. For me to play that means that I really want to give the um, show a bit of a French theme. There um, you go. The dedication. Love it. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. <laughs> Um, so what I want to talk about was, uh, Bastille Day, and I am just slightly not where I need to be at the moment. Oh, here we go. Yes. Right. Okay. So what we just found out then, obviously, is that Bastille Day is celebrated. They told us about someone who was guillotined, et cetera, et cetera. But 
there's a little a little bit more to it as you can probably imagine and um the whole reason that it's called uh bastille day is mm-hmm. because of the prison that was called the bastille saint antoine and as as the video did talk about at the time the um bastille was um uh, back in the 14th century, it was meant to be uh, it was meant to be a very uh, stringent uh, prison, etc. Mm. And it was and was built in a way that the turrets were round and not square. And <laughs> the reason for that was the um, reinforcement of if it was going to be stormed or cannoned mm, or whatever. Very clever. Yeah, it was. It was clever, and there wasn't a lot of round um, uh, prisons uh, built. Uh, mm. in that time at the time and um and uh yeah so so the whole idea was that it was a prison for um well for anyone really but what did end up happening is people like voltaire who's a french philosopher i think mm. um ended up being in that prison and they used and they ended up being uh, elites that ended up being in the prison as well, different writers. Dissidents, for... a lot of dissidents, yeah. Writers, yeah, exactly. yep. all that sort of stuff. And um, and and basically what happened was the the, the peasants, us, us, the peasants, <laughs> we, were, um, we were getting pretty pissed off because what we could see was more and more money was being spent on the Bastille and the money was actually being spent on the luxuries that the people that were mm. staying there. Correct. And um, they were getting more and more pissed off about this. So on the July the 14th, 1789, and the reason it was 1789 and the reason it was July the 14th, because on July the 13th, there was a whole bunch of uh, dragoon of mercenaries that were made up of Germans and um, I think other countries as well that were uh, fighting for the um, French aristocracy. And they mm-hmm. started just... Um, trampling all the um peasants if you like all of us people mm-hmm. and right. um and that's when they rose up on the 14th and they went no, we're not having this anymore yeah okay. and um and so uh yeah g- a gathering of parisians uh they formed a militia and they uh sat outside the bastille and the bastille had uh, heaps of weapons and also had heaps of gunpowder etc mm. um but they yeah, only sorry. had um, they only had seven prisoners at the time on the day. Yeah, they, that's exactly right. And it mm. was costing it was costing France and the and the taxpayers. And as you can imagine, that they will fleece the peasants as much as they possibly can for as much tax as humanly possible. Mm. And uh, you know they just totally we totally got sick of it. So. Um, the evolution of Bastille Day described the destruction of Bastille and the construction of a fountain on the new Place de la Bastille. Mm-hmm. And it mentions the first official celebration of Bastille Day in 1790 and its evolution under Napoleon to promote national unity. Um, it notes the significance of Bastille Day as a rallying point for Republicans during the 1870s, which I'll probably discuss a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get to um, great people that did stuff, um, states that Bastille Day became a national holiday in 1880 and has remained the most important holiday in France and highlights a con- 
continuation of Bastille Day celebrations during World War II under the leadership of um, de Gaulle in mm. London. So, yeah, it's been going a very long time, mm. and that's what it's all about. I, I can fill you, uh, add a little bit more information there. Nice. Um, Excellent. Bastille Day hasn't always been celebrated, or their national day hasn't always been 14th of July. Um, between 1804 and 1817, it was celebrated on August 15th. Do we know why? Under Napoleon I. So Napoleon I, his name day, which many Western countries don't really know or of name days, but every day seems to have people's name as a day. I can't remember. I've, in fact, I actually have a name day, believe it or not. Um, which I might need some homework or in a break, I might look it up. Um, but yes, name days. So Napoleon's name day was on August 15th. So he decided to have um, this day of celebration to be on his name day. Oh, of course uh, he did. Yes. And then under the restoration, which was 1814 to 1830, uh, the regime of the time celebrated its kings on their name days, which was Louis the 18th on august 25th and then charles the 10th um on may 24. so it changed um during that period of time then so, between 1830 and 1848 it was between july 27th and 29 um again similar reasons um okay. so, it, so it's fluctuated all over the place okay so it began on july the 14th they still are um, celebrating it now, July the fourteenth. So Correct. when when did it go back that they back? started always always uh, eighteen seventy one or thereabouts? Right, yeah. So so a period of about eighty years, it was fluctuating all over, going the, place. All over the place. Yeah, yep. Each each king or or, or president, whatever they were called at the time, emperor, uh, I think it was. Um, yeah, wanted to stamp their authority i guess yeah i think uh, i think during those years um happy to be corrected but i think during those years it was a pretty tumultuous uh time i think um the americans were were they were they wanting to fight against napoleon i can't remember no Um, that i don't know but i know the americans and the french resisted the british in america yeah that's right yeah definitely Um, if you've seen oh Hamilton. yes 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 absolutely yeah, i've got stuff to say about that later yeah. but um but yeah so i think yeah so i think the yeah that makes sense because i think the english were obviously trying to attack the french again mm, yeah. um and so i think the americans were helping out the french in mm. france which would make sense because yeah uh, that's all all around the the time of statue of liberty isn't it so mm, yeah liberté and fraternité and uh, egalité so um absolutely and uh talking about french words um and french stuff um just uh my uh french food here you can't can't quite oh geez what what have you got there what treats have you got i've got uh saucisson Mm -hmm. some Uh, basically yeah basically salami in, in french um but um yeah saucisson and I've got some Daffinois, which is one of the best brands of exported brie you can probably oh. get. 
and um, uh, if, uh, I'm drooling uh, right now. Something tells me I think you've had Daffin Wah. Um, <laughs> no, I just love good good brie. Oh, I haven't had Daff- Daff- that one, but Daffin is off the charts, and yeah. and it's ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous a kilo as well. It's uh, I just, can imagine. Just, uh, especially know. when it's at room to temperature that's when it's best had i think yeah no i think about 100 bucks a kilo or something ridiculous seriously well that bike just cost you about four dollars oh, right. <laughs> right. while you're eating that i'll continue on with a bit of um other uh things that happened on this day um like you mentioned um 17 the storming of the Bastille. 1790 was um, what they called the Fête de la Fédération, um, Festival of the Federation, as you mentioned. Uh, but 1795, so a few years later, the French National Convention decreed the La Marseille by Claude-Joseph Rouget de Lille uh, as French, French national anthem. So it took them six years and it's been their national anthem ever since. I'd play it right now, but I don't have it. I did find it earlier, but I didn't grab it to be able to play it for you. But I think we all know it a little bit. Dun, 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 something like that. Something like that. I'll see if I can get it in like a second. I can hear it oh, here, no. but obviously it's coming through local. No, it's good now. <laughs> oh, I can't hear it. Not through my Oh, can't you? Oh, okay. You can? Yes. Fight with your defenders. Fight with your defenders. Biz. I wonder what Biz stands for. Under our flags at the victory. Run up to your accent smiles. I don't think that's right. <laughs> no, that, I think that's that a very bad translation there from whoever created this. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible translation. Absolutely terrible. Lesson to, to everyone, don't yeah. believe everything you see on the internet. No, absolutely. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Yes, enough of that, enough of that, enough of that. Enough of that. But, uh, that. yeah, on this day look that is absolutely brilliant uh really good stuff have you got anything else there um uh Wente, for um i do have a few day? other I mean, non-french uh, stuff um well, on this day 1853 on this day 14th of july this is sort of right up your alley through through family uh new zealand's had their new zealanders had their first election in 1853 so that would be about 170 years ago yeah, there's no delay. I'm just eating cheese. Okay, sorry. I thought there was a delay. Alrighty, I shall carry on. Uh, excusez-moi, Monsieur. Uh, 1868. Alvin J. Fellows of New Haven in Connecticut, USA, patents the tape measure, a spring-click tape measure. Uh, he did improve the design um, later on, um, but yes, that was the first time we got tape measure that. We all love dearly these days. Uh, eighteen ninety one, we have American John T. Smith patents the corkboard, which a lot of officers have these days. Coming back home, nineteen sixty five, 
Australian uh, Ron Clark breaks the world record for 10,000 10, metres with a time of 27 minutes, 39 seconds. Last have I got, it's interesting, 1966 was the 53rd Tour de France, which is currently being raced around France right now. Uh, for anyone who's interested, go over to SBS, not right now because you're listening to us, but go to SBS and that'll be on later tonight. But yes, 1966, 53rd Tour de France was won by a Frenchman by the name of Lucien Aymar. Uh, the next two, uh, just to round off my bit for on this day, 1983, Mario Brothers is first released by Nintendo in Japan, which we all know these days, I'm pretty sure. And in 2002, on this day, French President Jacques Chirac escapes an, an assassination attempt uh, during Bastille Day celebrations. Ah. So, yeah. What a day was that? What, what, what year was that? 2002. 21 2002. years ago. Nice work. Beautiful work. Sensational work there, Wincy. Lots so has happened be... on this day. It has. Lots has happened. And lots of people have done lots of great stuff. And we will uh, visit some of them after this. When you give blood, you're more than just a blood donor. You're the lifeblood of Australia. Search Give Blood and book your donation with Australian Red Cross Lifeblood today. Give life. Give blood. Hey, this is Hannah Melville Ray from the Australia Institute. I'm listening to the new blurt with Wensi and the Kexta, and you should be too. It's on Tuesday nights, live from around 8pm. The Australia Institute produces high-quality research that has real-world impact, whether it's revealing the $10.3 billion in fossil fuel subsidies provided by federal and state governments last year, or our long-standing research advocating for a federal anti-corruption commission with real teeth, we change minds. To donate, head on over to australiainstitute.org.au. And we're back. Hi, and welcome to Great People That Did Stuff. Still got that to make it. Um... I love the accordion. Second, second to the uh, the bagpipes, uh, you... to being really uh, an annoying instrument. <laughs> oh, look, uh, talk, talk about annoying instruments. When I went to London the first time years ago, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It was in August 1996. I remember it vividly because it was the first time I'd ever heard pan flutes. And yeah. I heard these pan flutes and I was like, oh, my God, they are awesome. They sound so good. And then every day of the Fringe Festival, the Edinburgh Fringe that goes for, I think, 30 days, basically, um, they would be there every day in the corner. And I right. soon got sick of hearing those pan pipes, uh, those like South American sort of pan mm, pipe things. I love the pan pipes. And yes, no. And yeah. I, I, I heard <laughs> these things every day and I fell in love with the bagpipes, which mm. I did actually. And then I started hating them as well. And then <laughs> um, I went back to Australia and the exact guy that was at the festival doing his thing mm. was busking slash playing in Burke Street Mall when I came no. back. <laughs> and I was like, 
No! I was, uh, yeah, not a happy man. Not uh, a happy I can imagine. At all. Uh, so that was that. But, um, yeah, so great people did Yes, absolutely. Great people that did stuff. I, want, I wanted to talk just a little bit of detail about Marie-Joseph Paul Yves Rock Gilbert de Mortier de Lafayette. While you're doing Please. that, I am going to enjoy yes. my little pain au chocolat, by the way. Oh, your pain au so chocolat. Yes. Seeing nice. as we're doing the French theme, so you do that. Yes. yes. While I listen intently and Absolutely. Eat. Yes, no, do that. Absolutely do that. Just put yourself on mute while you eat, but that's all good. So known as Lafayette and anyone who's from um, Hamilton um, uh, knowledge will maybe sort of have their ears prick up when I say Lafayette, because if you've seen Hamilton, you'll sort of understand uh, maybe who he was. Um, and I do have a little bit on that after this. After this, But anyway, he was a French aristocrat, Freemason military officer, and he volunteered to join the Continental Army led by George Washington during the American Revolutionary War. Now, he played a significant role in the siege of Yorktown, final major battle of the Revolutionary War um, that secured American independence, i.e. they were fighting the British. Um, after returning to France, he became involved in the French Revolution in 1789, which we've just discussed, and the July Revolution of 1830. Yes, yeah, so apparently he led that revolution. 1789 on on Bastille Day. So busy, busy man. And the fact he's yeah, very, very, very busy (laughs) man. Um, He was celebrated as a hero in France and America. Um, And he was born into wealthy landowning family uh, in France. And he was an officer at thirteen. At thirteen, what? Yeah. I know it's crazy, isn't it? Well, that's what happens when you get lots of money back then. You you know, you just yeah. do what they tell you to do. I was just I was busy um, popping pimples at the time at thirteen. Bloody hell. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's horrible. I've I've never I I don't like that. I I don't do that. I yeah. Mm. L- less said about that the better. Anyway. Um <laughs> where where is it? Where is I really it distracted you there, haven't I? Uh, where are we? <laughs> You did, you did. Threw you off course. You did, you did. Because anyone in my family will tell you that that is one of my hate, my my host, most, most hated, thing. most hated. I, yeah. I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. Anyway, in 1780, he returned to America and was given senior positions in the Continental Army. And Lafayette's troops played a crucial role in blocking the British forces in Virginia. And uh, if you've seen Hamilton, if you haven't, you mm. should. And it's on Netflix. You've got no excuse. Um, and not just because it's a magnificent musical, but also because it's fantastic history. So mm. anyway, he helped write the Declaration of Rights of Man, of the citizen, and advocated for the abolition of slavery. So he was an abolitionist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Lafayette was appointed commander-in-chief of France's National Guard during the Revolution. Um, he was also arrested and spent over five years Ooh. in the um, in the Bastille itself during the radical oh, fra- right. phase of the revolution. Um, he was released in 97. He returned to France but refused to participate in Napoleon's government. Right. So he didn't like Napoleon. Um, and he became a liberal member of the Chamber of Deputies um, and he visited as a guest and received a great reception in 1824. Um, the United States, uh, and during 
uh, during the July Revolution of 1830. He initially supported Louis Philippe as king, but then he turned Ooh. against him. No. He died in 1834. Um, no, I'm not 100% sure on that one. But he died in 1834, and he's often uh, referred to as the hero of two worlds um, for his contributions to both France and the United States. Now, the um, uh, the connection with Hamilton is that um, he was uh, in America. They called him the Marquis de Lafayette because obviously that was a massive mouthful. That I said what his name was. In 17. 17- 77, the year that the Vermont Constitution abolished slavery, the two became fast friends at Yorktown. This is Hamilton we're talking about. In mm-hmm. 17, if you don't know who Hamilton is, you go and see the uh, musical on I'll Netflix, yeah. and then you'll know. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, you can look it up on Google, but just go and watch it. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It's much more entertaining um, when you watch it. 100% agree, 100% agree. Uh, Lafayette participated with Hamilton in the American victory, there thanks in large part to French naval blockade, but he was also aided by a young slave named James Armistead. Now, this is the first I've actually read about um, a young slave named James Armistead, which I'm not surprised by because what's happening now, I don't know if you realise, but What's happening now is more and more history is sort of uh, getting rewritten because, as you know and can imagine, uh, most of the history we have is written by patriarchy and white patriarchy. Mm. Yeah. So um, so lots of heaps and heaps of all different nationalities that had so much to do with history and so many important parts have just completely been erased. And so... Um, it's good that history's actually sort of being retold how it actually actually did happen. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, he was also aided by a young slave named James Armistead who successfully spied on Cornwallis at the British. And although clearly influenced by the uh, work of Cornwallis, I don't know who that is, it may also have been thanks to Armistead that Lafayette developed his interest in the experiment to free the slaves. Right and uh, the negroes etc and um only have them as tenants not slaves mm. and such yeah um i you know uh working in the in the house etc but actually getting paid for it mm. um now george washington i am pretty sure i believe he was meant to be against slaves but i'm pretty sure he had some um yeah. <laughs> the irony it, yeah, I know. It's, well, it's I wouldn't know about irony, but it's just wrong. It is. It is. And the other thing is that there is um, conjecture and history um, that, and it's it is disputed by people that don't mm-hmm. want to believe it. But there is quite a lot of evidence to say that he actually um, had sex with uh, a young slave, mm. yeah, and I had a, and had. And had and had children with her, right? Um, okay. That's George Washington. George Washington, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, Lafayette purchased a plantation for this purpose along the banks of the Oyapok River in Cayenne, now French Guiana, which mm-hmm. he called La Belle Gabrielle. At the plantation, later mm-hmm. run by Lafayette's wife, the slaves were educated and paid for their work. Excellent. Wow. Which 
means you're not a slave if you're paid for your work. Correct. That's so, right. Though the French Revolution and Lafayette's imprisonment brought an end to this precocious experiment. Huh. So, so soon, right. as soon as he went to prison, that ended. It all so, stopped. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. So he sounds like he was a pretty, pretty cool dude. Hmm. Bit of a revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Makes sense why Hamilton um, liked him, you know, befriended him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So over to you, my friend. I'm going to go to a different century, the 20th century, to be in fact. The famous French person uh, that did great stuff uh, was Andre Rene Rusimov, or Andre the Giant, for those who know him best. Uh, he was a renowned professional wrestler and entertainer um, because of his colossal size and charismatic presence. Uh, he was born in 1946 and stood over seven feet, which is 2.13 metres in the metric system and weighed around 225 kilos. His big imposing physicality and unique appeal made him a legend in the wrestling world. I used to love watching him in the WWF back in the 80s um, and 90s. Uh, he also starred in films, uh, most notably as Fezzik in The Princess Bride. Uh, what else has he done? He was um, an iconic figure in the sports entertainment history, leaving an indelible mark on both the wrestling industry and popular culture. He died in January 27, 1993, at the young age of 43. He passed away due to congestive uh, heart failure, a condition often associated with his um, acromegaly, which is a disorder characterized by his excessive growth hormone, So, which is why he was so big. So, yeah, so that was pretty sad in that respect. But he did what he loved, entertaining people. Um, yeah, so I thought that was quite interesting to have a quick uh, highlight on him. Um, another one while you're still eating, because I can steal your... Do you have any... No, no. Pictures of Andre the this. Giant. No, not really. Oh, no, need, normally normally I would do show and tell, but yes, I ran out of time today and the last couple of days with work. Another one that I'll just quickly highlight, a famous French person, uh, was Gabrielle Bonheur Chanel or Coco, Coco Chanel. Uh, she was born 1883, died in 1971. Uh, she was a pioneering fashion designer and businesswoman who revolutionized women's fashion in the early 20th century. And she was um, born on Bastille Day. Not just doing great people that did stuff. Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Oh, sorry. I'm on the right. I'm far. Jeez, You're in the wrong segment. Sure. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, I am. Sorry. I apologize. I'm just, I'll, I'll just shut up. Sorry. I think your your mind's too 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 far into the um, that brie that expensive I brie think you're right. just in, he I, I, in heaven. I think I think you're right. The brain is just gone gone ski. No brain, yeah, totally gone. <laughs> Back to Coco Chanel. She was renowned for her timeless and iconic designs that emphasised comfort, simplicity, and elegance. Uh, uh, one of her signature styles was um, the tailored suit with, and also little black dresses. And the introduction of women's trousers challenging the normal convention of um, uh, fashion of the time popularized the concept of casual chic 
and became synonymous with effortless sophistication. What else can I say about her? That, that's not Coco Chanel. No, that is not Coco Chanel. If it was, I'd be worried. For those listening on the podcast, we are actually seeing Andre the Giant, a photo of him standing next to an average-sized man. Seven foot four, yeah. I think. Yeah, something like that. Back to Chanel. All intents and uh, purposes, the... a really nice guy. Mm. Oh, yeah, no, he was very um, likable and uh, charismatic in real life. Um, yeah, no, it was apparently quite the uh, the charming bloke. Back to Coco. Uh, yeah, so her brand Chanel grew into a global fashion empire with the interlocking sea. Um, not that I can afford that, and it's not my thing anyway to have all this expensive stuff, but it is what it is and very French, this... Uh, this brand yeah so she was one of the uh influential figures of early fashion in the early 20th century died on january 10 1971 at the ripe old age of 87 um, due to natural causes uh specifically a heart attack so no she had a led a good life and yeah contributed quite a lot so she she lived till 87 yeah i've got a yeah here we go got quite a good uh picture up i think for the listener on the podcast that's yeah very young they're looking very wispy to the sky or something in a nice little white satiny uh long dress uh by the looks of it i don't know what material it was but um yeah lots of frills with a flowery belt by the looks of it but yeah do you have a photo there of her with the trousers like women's trousers that she may have introduced yeah so one of the things that she was revered for was uh liberating women from those bloody restrictive corsets so at the time a lot of women were wearing corsets so she went screw that Uh, i think women need to be freer corsets and the corsets yep and yeah so yeah we can thank her for loosening the belt so to say well this is this is some of her brand now Mm mm-hmm yeah, I've got some modern photos. Yeah, here we go. You know, really sort of straight. I'm not a big fan myself, but you can tell it's very French. I mean, I've mm. been to France enough times, and uh, they, they're they not as flamboyant as uh, the Italians or the Spanish when it comes to dress. Mm. Uh, yeah. Although, I mean, I know that looks a bit out there or whatever, but um, as a rule, the French are pretty conservative. I mean, you can sort of tell yeah. that, though. I mean, this is Coco yeah. Chanel, and, um, you know, it's not... Stop, you know, that's quite nice. I quite like that, mm. but anyway, other one, on um, the yeah, yes, yes, the one that looked like it had a little bit about it. So, you yeah, know, Coco Chanel, brilliant, really, mm. really, really good stuff. And obviously, she, uh, I think, isn't she, she's um, responsible for Chanel number, is it number nine? Five, Chanel that's number five, one. right, 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 yes, that's the famous one. Yes, right. so not only did she do um, fashion, but yes, um, perfumes, eau de, eau de toilettes, whatever, all that stuff. Yeah. Excellent, so great, excellent, excellent. Great export of her industry. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, as you were saying before, um, she enabled um, women to get at it. Now, that, I was actually going to talk about that Ooh. just with the corsets. The interesting thing about the corsets is that in in back in the day, back in the you know seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, etc., etc., when they were wearing corsets. I mean, well back further than that. But there were women were fainting in in 
in court and, um, you know, often. And mm. uh, they've just, they were fainting often all the time. And so men at the time, because obviously they're completely stupid, um, thought that the women yeah. were suffering from something called hysteria, et cetera, et cetera. They never <laughs> thought for two seconds it could be the fact that they have something sucking all of their insides in eight mm. hours, 10 hours a day or something. So, day. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, bloody, so there was many... bloody men far out. Yeah, men. absolutely. What would they absolutely. know? I agree totally, hundred <laughs> percent. Us, 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 us peasants wouldn't tell uh, tell the women how to to uh, dress. Um, no. But one thing I'll say though, also about that is that I, I know it's amazing, but when they stop wearing the corsets, the women seem to live longer. Who would have thought? Yeah, funny that, and probably faint less as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there was a lot less fainting. Yeah, yeah, but it took a long while. It took a long while. Um, wow. Yeah, so good on good on Coco Chanel. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, absolutely. Well, that is your French show for the night, and oh, 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 oh. it's um, it's all over. Sacre so, bleu! It's the end. Oh my, oh mon dieu! It is. It is absolutely sacre bleu indeed. So, um, so I hope you enjoyed uh, tonight's show. We enjoyed uh, bringing it to you as usual. Um, Peppy there is enjoying himself, bouncing along. I had a fantastic time as well. Remember him? He used to jump. Dump, dump, yeah. dump, yes, dump, chasing yeah. the uh, the black and white cat. Yes, <laughs> yes. we should have. We should. We should. We should have got that. On. Um, yeah, anyway, now as Wednesday and I normally are, we have no idea what's on next week's show. But I'm sure Except. it'll be good. Oh, actually, that's not true. We, we do, yes. No, absolutely. you do. We do. Yeah, we have a yes, special we guest do. next week. We we do indeed have a special guest next week. And um, I definitely very, very misses me to forget. Um, mm. Yeah, we have uh, guests uh, live uh, from Lifeblood next week. And that should be fantastic. They are going to tell so, us all about all about giving blood. And if Sorry, Wincy, you, the you listener, if you, the listener, have any questions that you'd like to ask Lifeblood, uh, such as how much do they sell the blood for, or uh, when does Dracula come around to pick up his lot, things like that, please ask us on any of our channels, which I'm about to put right here. If, if they break a bag, uh, do they scoop it up and uh, make sure they don't waste any of it? Uh... <laughs> um, <laughs> I could answer that because my sister did work there, but we will save that answer we will. for next week. We will save that um, for next week. So it should yes. be a bit of fun. That should be good. So that if you do have any questions, email us at blurtstar at gmail or send us a message on Twitter at blurtnew or Instagram blurtstar. And threads will be the same as Insta, so at blurtstar. So if you want to yes. thread us or tweet us, go for it. Absolutely, absolutely, exactly what Wincy just said. Well done, Wincy. Fantastic as always. I say adieu and, and I au say revoir. Bon, bon nuit. Uh, yes, bon nuit. bon nuit. Bon nuit. Au revoir. Ciao. Till next week. Bye. Hello, my name is Dean Park, and I'm from the Kwandamooka peoples of. Minjirabar, which is also known as North Stradbroke Island, just off the coast of Brisbane. It's great to be here with you today. I know there's been a lot of interest since uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese made a really 
to some people, a surprising comment during the election night saying that the government was committed to a referendum on a voice to parliament. And I know that there are many people sitting out there in their lounge rooms on that night, not really sure about what he meant. What we're talking about is very simple. It's just three things. Recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the constitution, having an Indigenous voice to parliament, and the need for a referendum to make it all happen. And we want to be able to do this because this is a conversation that we have to have across the nation. This is a conversation that every single Australian needs to be part of. And so we don't want to confuse the issue. We're not going to dive down in deep into details. This is not about the politics. This is not about making a particular point. It's simply about having a conversation with you, sharing a bit of information about Indigenous constitutional recognition, about a voice to parliament and about a referendum. And we're hoping that this is something that triggers a conversation more broadly in your families, in your workplaces, in your communities, and something that we really want the whole nation to get behind. What constitutional recognition means is acknowledging the 65,000 years of continuous connection that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have to this country. It's about Australians embracing First Nations peoples. It's about us being recognised in our constitution, in our rule book. It is a unique status as the first peoples of the Australian nation. And it's about, I guess, having that, that sense of this is where we started as a people and as a nation. And that's really, really important in terms of the relationship that we have between First Australians and everyone else. Yeah, I can't tell you how much that means you know, to, to our community, to our nation, to myself, to my family, uh, to not have to uh, argue for that basic recognition to be recognised as First Nations, that we belong here and that we have a right to be heard. It took until 2017, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to very firmly say what meaningful constitutional recognition looked like to us. It's recognising our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the founding document of our nation, and how do we embrace First Nations peoples as the first peoples of this country, which is unique and different to anywhere else in the whole world? It's unfinished business and it's about time that uh, we recognise that the Aboriginal people were living on this continent, Torres Strait Islanders were inhabiting our homelands, and that recognition in the Constitution is going to go a long way to uh, healing past injustices in the in the modern history of Australia. I remember when I was um, one of facilitating a NATO event for school, um, when I've asked like, you know, mob at school if they want to do a dance or if they want to sing or do storytelling or something like that. Um, it, there's that shame factor like, oh, I'm scared to, to, to voice my culture and to talk about it. And then, but with this, I believe it will make, make them actually feel valued and empower, empowered in their own country as First Nations Australians, yeah. In 1967, the Australian public voted overwhelmingly to allow the Commonwealth Government to make laws about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people before it hadn't had that power. Meaningful, real constitutional recognition had to come through a voice. It had to be about this voice to Parliament. There are too many issues in our communities, which mean that we can't just have symbolic recognition. There needs to be practical change alongside that. Uh, but then also, you know, what a lot of people talk about, the practical kind of things that come along with that and the power of that symbolism too, is that 
you know, not only are you recognising us finally, but you, you actually have to listen to us and talk to us. And we, we have a say, we get to sit at the table where the decisions are made, which for too long have been made without us. And, you know, one of the things in my family that we always talk about uh, is all the uh, kind of things that have happened in the Barma Forest and the Wirai Forest and all the um, environmental degradation. But what happened to our families there and um, actually being able to have a seat at the table with people like, you know, Victoria and New South Wales parks and wildlife type people with the government on, you know, when they're making the leasing decisions that are impacting our families uh, when it comes to the history of economic development in those areas. I think the important thing in constitutional recognition is that it puts Indigenous people firmly in the founding document of modern Australia. And it's not putting us in the constitution in a way that someone else has suggested we should be. It's putting us in the constitution in the way Indigenous people have decided they want to be recognised in the constitution. And that's important because it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people deciding for themselves what they want, asking the Australian people to support them in that, and then that being enshrined in the document that defines the way the nation works. In a way, our most important document in Australia. The Uluru Statement very clearly said that if we are going to do this, if we are going to formally and finally do constitutional recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, it's got to be through the voice. And just for having our voice in, you know, enshrined in the constitution, it doesn't only have like an impact now, but has impact on the generations to come. And is an important first step in building a shared future for our country. The new Blurred is brought to you by Wensi and Kickstart, usually on a Tuesday evening. You can catch us on all the socials, as they say, the Blurt YouTube channel. We have a Twitter Blurt handle, and there is a Blurt Star Facebook page as well. So, if you're interested in getting getting in touch, it's uh, blurtstar at gmail.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can if you've got any questions. Until next week, there'll be another feed coming at you. Has been a Get Off The Grass production. It's brought to you by Wincy and Kickstarter.